0: the agony jesus christ suffered on the cross is almost unimaginable but he endured it all to complete the work of your salvation you can rest in his perfect completed work You don't need and should not trust in your own futile efforts to find acceptance with God. We're looking at that completed work of Jesus today. This is the wisdom journey. Stephen Davey returns to the Gospels today with this lesson called, It Is Finished.
1: Now, we've been studying the Gospels chronologically. We've been combining and coordinating eyewitness accounts as they occurred, and we've learned that Jesus was on the cross from 9 a.m. until noon, and then darkness enveloped the entire earth for three hours. Prior to this period of darkness, Jesus had spoken on three different occasions. But now as the darkness nears the end, it's right around 3 p.m., and Jesus speaks again. Here now in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 46, this happens next. Jesus cries out in the darkness, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, you need to understand here that Jesus, as fully man, is experiencing a loss of fellowship with the Father, something he's never experienced before. And he's actually quoting here the words of the psalmist in Psalm chapter 22 and verse 1 to express the, the horrible feelings of separation. Why has God the Father forsaken God the Son? Well, because on the cross, Jesus is suffering the wrath of God the Father as our iniquities, Isaiah 53 says, are laid upon him. You see, at this moment, Jesus is saturated with the sins of the entire world, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2. He's therefore forsaken then by God the Father. God the Father, so to speak, turns his back on God the Son. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus was forsaken by the Father so that you might never be forsaken by the Father? Jesus experienced isolation so that you will never be alone. Jesus, he, he battles through the darkness so that you and I one day will live in the kingdom of light Well, with that, the Lord's next statement is recorded in John's Gospel. We travel over to chapter 19 and verse 28. It says this, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill Scripture, I thirst. Well, earlier Jesus had refused a drink of wine mixed with myrrh because uh, that was essentially an anesthetic designed as a, a narcotic to dull the pain. It would have dulled his mind. But now, here in verse 29, a sponge is filled with sour wine and offered to Jesus, and he accepts it. This quenches his thirst temporarily and allows him to speak his final statements. And are they ever powerful statements? I can't help but think that this is the one who said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. John chapter 7, verse 31. 37, and whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. John chapter 4, verse 14. The one who said that is now thirsty. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus began his ministry hungry, fasting in the wilderness and defeating Satan's temptations for all those weeks, 40 days? Jesus ends his ministry thirsty. Thirsty as he defeats Satan's power once and for all. Through faith in Christ, you and I are heading for an eternal place. And guess what? There's no more thirst, spiritually or physically. That will never exist again. In fact, over at the end of the Bible, here in Revelation chapter 22, we read in in verse 17, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires Take the water of life without price. Well now back in John's account, uh, chapter nineteen and verse thirty, we read When Jesus had received the sour wine he said, It is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it is finished as one Greek word to telesti. Jesus literally shouts this from the cross, and, and it means, if we translated it rather woodenly, paid in full. Tetelestai was a common word in Jesus' day. When a when a Greek artist completed a painting or, or a sculpture, he would step back and he would say, Tetelestai, the masterpiece is completed. If you went to the market in these days and purchased something, well, you'd get a receipt, and if you paid for it in full, you'd get the word Tetelestai written on your receipt, meaning you, you'd paid for the product, you own it. Now, if you stole from that marketplace and you were put in jail for six months, the jailer would, would write your crime on a little piece of parchment along with the dates of your sentence, and then he'd he'd, he'd tack it to the door of, of your cell. Six months later, when your sentence was completed, he'd write on that parchment this word, to die, Then he'd take that parchment, he'd roll it up, and he'd give it to you as he set you free. You had paid in full the penalty for your crime. The Bible tells us that as sinners, we're in debt to God because we've broken his law, and the law we've broken demands payment. In fact, the apostle Paul tells us in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin, or the weight, the paycheck for sin, the payment for sin is death. Well, here at the cross, as Jesus bears our sin, he's paying the price for it. He's dying on our behalf. Now, keep in mind, Jesus doesn't cry from the cross, "I am finished!" <laughs> he cries out, "It is finished!" Well, what's finished? Well, let me tell you, beloved, the masterpiece. Of salvation, the debt that demanded payment, the crime that demanded punishment that's now paid in full, and now salvation, this masterpiece of grace, can be offered to you and to me as a free gift from God. now, in Luke's Gospel here in chapter twenty three and verse forty six, it records for us Jesus' final words. Jesus says, "Father." Into your hands I commit my spirit. And this is important to understand. There's no lapse in time between his death and the Father's presence. John's Gospel says in chapter 19 and verse 30, then, then he gave up his spirit. So get this right, beloved. Jesus is voluntarily surrendering his life here at, at just the right time, after the payment of sin was completed. As, as one author put it, Jesus was master even in his death. Well, what happens next? Well, let me tell you, some some pretty wild things take place. Back in Matthew's account, chapter 27 and, and verse 51, it says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, this thick curtain or veil separated the holy of holies. That represented God's unapproachable presence from the place just outside the veil where priests ministered daily in the holy place. But some invisible hand reaches up at the very top of this 30-foot high curtain and rips it straight down to the ground. Well, this is symbolizing that through Jesus we now have access into the presence of God. Matthew then tells us that there's this, this earthquake. It splits rocks. It, it opens up tombs. And for a reason, verse 52 says, The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had died were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Can you imagine this? Tombs are opened, and then three days later, after the Lord's resurrection, these deceased Old Testament believers are raised to life. They go into Jerusalem to testify to Jesus Christ's power and victory over death. Most scholars, by the way, believe that they will ascend back to heaven when the Lord ascends here just a few weeks later. Now, we're not told who these believers were, but just imagine, what if this miracle resurrection included Boaz and Ruth? They would have been buried nearby in Bethlehem. What if, what if one of them was John the Baptist who'd just been executed uh, perhaps a year and a half earlier? Well, we aren't told who they were, but you, you can imagine the impact they made for the gospel. Well, back here on Mount Calvary, as the earth begins to, to shake, as Jesus dies, the Roman centurion in charge of, of this execution says here in verse 54, truly, this was the Son of God. Well, let me tell you, he's wiser than all the religious leaders out there who've been mocking Jesus. He's wiser than, than the religious leaders who are going to sew that curtain back up and try to keep earning their way into heaven. You know, the religions of this world will all tell you that if you want to see God, you've you, you got to do something. you got to join something. You've got to give something. You, you've got to become something better. Jesus effectively says to the believer, access is now granted to the very presence of God. I have finished the work. I remember years ago, a man sarcastically said to evangelist Alexander Wooten, tell me what I have to do to become a Christian. And Alexander replied, it's too late. The man was was shocked and he said, what do you mean it's too late? Tell me what I have to do to become a Christian. And the old evangelist replied, it's too late. Everything has already been done by Christ. See, that's the message here of the cross. That this is, this is the masterpiece. It's finished. The work of salvation is completed. Jesus Christ has done everything. Well, until we sail again into our next wisdom journey, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.
0: That was Stephen Davey and a lesson he called, It Is Finished. If you or someone you know is interested in learning more about what Jesus accomplished, we have a resource to help. We call it God's Wisdom for Your Heart. You'll find this resource at wisdomonline.org forward slash gospel. Read more about what Jesus has done for you. Join us back here next time to continue your wisdom journey.